Greetings in the Lord's Jesus' precious name to uh, this gathering of God's people. It's good to see you. It's actually good to come. I appreciate the invitation to come on a regular basis. In fact, I enjoyed that picnic that we had together. And uh, I had some friendships reinforced there and some really interesting conversations that we had there. One of them has to do with me. So I'm going to share you a little bit one conversation. Um, one of the things we discussed about, and I think Nathan was in with this, I believe, uh, about um, oh the uh, the whole thing about having messages at a level where the children can understand, not having messages that go up above people's heads. And so this morning I have a disclaimer and an encouragement <laughs> because when it comes to having a message that's low on a children's level, I'm not the best. I will tend to shoot higher. So my disclaimer is that is who I am. I try to get it low and you have enough illustrations. People can understand and catch it. Even children can. <clears throat> but it's not my natural way of doing it. That's my disclaimer. My encouragement is I think God wants us to grow and to come higher, all of us, children included. So if there's some messages that get too high, I, I know as a, as a homeschool family, you can't build a tower by putting the first block up at the chandelier. You've got to start from the bottom up, but you can build. And so my encouragement to you, if, uh, if it goes over your head, then exert yourself to grow. And I think it's God's will that we understand not just the element things of his word, but also the deeper things. So that's a little bit of a disclaimer and encouragement this morning. Um, why don't we just pause for a word of prayer? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you for your great love to us. Lord, where would we be without you? Lord, it was you who first moved in our lives. And Lord, it is you who sustains us. Lord, we are dependent on you. But we thank you, Lord, that we can be dependent on you because you are a good God. You care about us. And Lord, with that in mind, we come to you and to your word and ask you to teach us and instruct us. Give us direction, give us hope, give us purpose, give us, Lord, your heart to live out your life in this our day. So, Lord, we just look to you and ask you to bless this part of the service. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I am going to speak on a topic that is it's a very relevant concept that all of us face at one level or another. We face it in our personal lives, personally. We face it in our families. 
and we face it in our churches. Not only do we face it now, but people have always faced it. In fact, you can see it being addressed plainly in the scriptures by Jesus himself. And you might ask, what is that? Well, I want to talk this morning about the uh, title is the concept of values versus rules. Values versus rules. First, a few definitions. What are values? Anybody want to suggest? What is a value? If you don't have anything, that's fine, but you have a, something you hold dearly. Strongly held convictions. Values are things you think are important. Right. Okay. Values are things you think are important. We all have them. Every one of us. If a group or society has similar values, they are said to have shared values. We have some shared values in here. If a society um, values some, let's say it this way, some people or some groups value a good work ethic as a group. Some groups and some societies do not value that. Some people or some societies value acceptance and inclusions of all kinds of sexual orientations. They value that. Some groups and societies do not value that. But values are powerful because they it is values that actually govern our life and our society, including our homes and our churches and our governments. There are actually a multiplicity of organizations that were started because of some kind of shared value. On Friday, we were up at Massachusetts. We took a mini family vacation, and we went whale watching. We actually got spit on by a whale. Imagine that. He came up right beside the boat and bust off that steam, and the mist drifted over the boat. It's pretty awesome. But there were, uh, you probably heard of Save the Whales Society or whatever it is. I don't know what they call it, organization of some kind. That's a value. People see that there's a problem here, and we value these animals. They gather around, and so they, around the value, an organization grows, and you have lots of them. That's a value. Now, that's a value. A rule. What is the definition of a rule? A rule is a law or a commandment that is required by those under its jurisdiction. And often there is a penalty if the rule is violated. Is that right, children? You violate a rule, there's a penalty. Usually, a rule is based on a value. Here is our value. 
Here's a value. This is how we implement our value, hence a rule. The interesting, uh, interesting thing about a rule is that the people that are required to keep a rule may or may not share the values that the rule espouses. The statement, I heard this statement made, rules are made to be broken. The reason rules are made to be broken is because there are rules made that the people that are supposed to keep the rules don't have the values. So what do you do with a rule that you don't have a value behind the rule? Well, you'll break it if you can. Or worse yet, those who make the rules don't have the values themselves. They just want to make these rules to control the people that they're making the rules for. So far, we can deduce, maybe, that values are a good thing and rules are bad. Is that right? No, not quite so fast. Not quite so fast. We need to look at some more things before we make a judgment. So turn to our main scripture this morning, which is Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 1, and we're going to read a fairly long passage here. Rules and values. Mark chapter 7, verse 1. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came to Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they washed their hands oft, eat not holding to tradition of the elders. And when they came, and when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be which they have received to hold, as to the washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah, or Isaiah, prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lip, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandments of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whosoever curses father or mother, let him die to death. But ye say, If a man say to his father or mother, It is korban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition which you have delivered, and many such like things ye do. We are going to stop reading there. We could go on and how Jesus goes to explain the difference between digesting dirt and vomiting out sin. 
That's an interesting subject, but we won't look at that subject this morning. This morning, we want to stick to the concept of values and rules. Now, I chose this scripture in Mark because it has both sides of the issue. There's other passages here that have one side, and there's other passages that have the other side. This passage contains both sides that we're going to look at this morning. Okay, number one, the Pharisees had a lot of rules. True or false? True. I couldn't find the exact number, but 637 come to my mind when I when I uh, understand the rules that they had for keeping the Sabbath. I heard a number, and I, I, I couldn't find it, but uh, it's, it's somewhere up there. How many rules do you need to make sure you keep the Sabbath holy? Now, the value behind the multiplicity of the rules was to keep the Sabbath holy. Now, here are some examples from modern times. I'm going to give you some examples. They taught that you should not look in a mirror on the Sabbath because you might be tempted to pluck out a gray hair and that would be reaping. They said you could only eat an egg which had been laid on the Sabbath if you killed a sickened chicken for Sabbath breaking. If the lights were on on the Sabbath, when the Sabbath came, which ended at sun, which came at sundown, Sabbath began at sundown, you could not blow the light out. But if it had not been lit by the time it got dark, you couldn't light it. It was unlawful to move furniture on the Sabbath. There was an exception to this, that you were allowed to move a ladder on the Sabbath, but only four steps. You were allowed to eat radishes on, on the Sabbath, but you were warned against dipping them into salt. Because if you let them in the salt too long, they begin to pickle. And if you pickle a, Sabbath, uh, a radish on the Sabbath, that's work. That's wrong. And they actually had discussions on how long it takes for a radish to pickle. It was fine to spit on a rock on the Sabbath, but you could not spit on the ground because that made mud, and mud was motor, and that was work. This is one for you ladies. If a woman got some mud on her dress, she had to wait till it dried, and then she was permitted to crumple the dress with her hand, with her hands one time, crush it, shake it out, and whatever was left on, she had to. She couldn't do anything more than that. Whatever that didn't do the trick, she had to wear it. Now, God told His covenant people to keep the Sabbath. He did. He told them to keep it holy. Basically, He told them they can do all their work on six days, but on the seventh was a holy day. On that day, you do not work. There's a few examples in Scripture that no manna came on the Sabbath. They were prepared for the Sabbath the day before. The normal thing that you need on the Sabbath, you were to prepare the day before. So that you don't need to do those things on the Sabbath. They were not to kindle a fire. The man that was caught picking up sticks violated the Sabbath. 
and he was stoned. God expected them to keep the Sabbath. And they were not to conduct business, buying and selling. You have that implied in, in Exodus, but you have it definitely exhibited in Nehemiah and some of those other places. But the Pharisees took it upon themselves to micromanage the command, and inevitably what happens, they took the focus away from God, away from serving God, they took it and they put the focus on the laws. Inevitably that happens when you multiply laws. And to turn most or all the attention away from God and down to the rules. Now, in our text this morning, it was not the Sabbath they were breaking. It was some other commandment they were violating, according to the Pharisees, the washing, the ceremonial washing that the Pharisees required. Like the Sabbath laws that the Pharisees had here, these laws about washing of pots and pans was not in Scripture but they were developed as addition to scripture. They were called the traditions of the elders. And the traditions of the elders, Jesus said, completely trumped out the kind of heart that God desired in his people. In fact, the Pharisees completely missed the whole point of God. They completely missed the whole point of the will of God being more concerned about what goes into a person than what comes out of him. Not only that, but some of their tradition, they violated the real rules or the real values that God had commanded in his law. And we asked, how is that? Well, we're going to look at Korban now. Remember, we read in the passage about Korban. He said, it is Korban Therefore, you don't have to do anything to your parent. Let's see what that means. Let's look at that a little closer. According to Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary, korban is. It's a word that is applied to a gift or an offering in the temple that is declared. Let me try to, try to get this. That is not too high. Okay, let me try this again. Korban is a word that describes a gift or an offering in the temple that is declared that gift dedicated to God in a special sense. In other words, it was if you would have something, you could dedicate that thing, whatever it is, to the temple. And once it was dedicated, you could never get it back. Once it's dedicated, it's a one-way street. You can never undedicate it, okay? It's given. It was considered totally dedicated for the temple's special use, whatever that use was. The uh, International Standard Bible Encyclopedia adds this, said anything dedicated to the temple by pronouncing the contractual word korban, it's a legal term, forthwith belong to the temple, but only ideally. It actually might remain in the possession of him who made that vow. So a son might be justified in not supporting his old parents simply because he designated his property or a part of it as a gift to the temple. So here you go. Here's the thing. Imagine we have them today. What do they call them? Estate trust or whatever. When you die, your money goes to such and such a place. Okay. Well, that's something of that nature is going on here. 
So a, uh, a man of my age that has elderly parents might dedicate everything I have to God. So, but I didn't give it to him yet. But it's dedicated to him. And when I die, it'll all go to him. Now, it's dedicated to God, so I cannot use it for this because it's God. Now, I can use it for myself because somehow that, that's okay, but I cannot use it for my parents because it's dedicated to God. My parents can have it because it's dedicated to here. You get the concept? Maybe you all understood all that already. So, so he was actually prohibited from ever using his property for the support of his parents. Apparently, the Pharisees were okay with this because it enriched the temple. I don't know if you notice it, but false religion always has greed in it somewhere. It was here. And they, the Pharisees, did not really love or care about suffering people. Is that right? When Jesus healed the people, what were they concerned about? The law. Not the people. It's obvious with the squabbles they had with Jesus when he healed the people on the Sabbath. But now, I have something I want you to ponder. Jesus' rebuke to the Pharisees clearly meant they allowed children to neglect their needy parents in their older years. But the question I have for you is, where in the Old Testament does it say you have to take care of your parents when they get old? Can you think of any place? Where does it say, where does God say, take care of your parents when they get old? Jesus blasted the Pharisees for breaking the law of God. What law did they break is my question. Because they were not taking care of their elderly parents. But where does in the Bible does it say you must take care of your old parents? There are two commandments in the Old Testament that I found. There are honor thy father and thy mother. And whosoever curses his father and mother, let him die to death. What else does the Bible say about parents? Not a lot. We have one example, and I'll just read it. In Deuteronomy 21, verse 18, said, If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him and will not, heart- and will not hearken unto them, then shall his father and mother lay hold on him and bring him before the elders of the city under the gate of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of the city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the many men of his city shall stone him with stone that he die. So shall thou put away evil away from among you. And all Israel shall hear and fear. And the only other relevant one that I found was in Proverbs 30, verse 17. The eye that mocketh his father and despises to obey his mother. The ravens of the valley shall pick it out and the young eagles shall eat it. So. There is no specific commandment in the Old Testament that says you must take care of your aging parents. Yet Jesus said you are breaking the law by not doing them. On what ground did Jesus have in blasting the Pharisees for disobeying God? That's the question. 
On what grounds? There's no commandment. They were not breaking a chapter and verse commandment. They were not. You know, listen carefully, all of us. I have heard it many times, and I'm sure you have too. When a discussion or a disagreement arises about a particular practice or a particular item, the challenge comes, well, what chapter and verse forbids this? It's the question that comes our way many times. In other words, the question comes, show me plainly in the Bible, in plain words, that I should not put a jack-o'-lantern out on my porch in October. Show it to me. Can I show it? Will I put one out? No. But I have no commandment. The assumption usually is, is that you don't have a clear Bible verse dealing with anything. It falls in the area of Christian liberty. You may do or wear or tar participate in that if you so desire. If there's no clear commandment in Scripture. I propose to you that Jesus did not use the Scripture that way. And I would propose that it is not a valid way of approaching God's word, and it is not a valid method of determining God's will, to have to have a clear scripture for everything we do. So what were the Pharisees doing? They were not breaking a rule command. They were breaking a value command. That's what they were doing. So what do we have here? On the one side, we have Jesus condemning the Pharisees for making rules. For adding to the law what was not in the law. He condemned them. That was called the tradition of the elders. On the other side, Jesus expects his people to deduce applications from the law. Even actions that are not directly spelled out as such. On the one side, we're not to add to the law. On the other side, we are sinning if we don't add specifics to the law. Imagine that. But that are both true. They're both true. Is that relevant for us today? How do we solve the dilemma? How do we know when we are pleasing God and when we're not? Well, let's look at another scripture to set a little more light. Well, this is a, I'll just, I'll just give the context and we'll read in John 7 a little later. Jesus healed a man that lay beside the pool in Jerusalem. And he told the man to take up his mat and walk. And he did. And the Jews saw him carrying his bed and told him he's breaking the Sabbath. And the whole thing came back on Jesus, and they were so angry with Jesus, they wanted to kill him, because he's breaking the Sabbath. And I'll just read in John chapter 7 here, in verse 21, And Jesus answered and said to them that were angry with him, he said, I have done one work, and ye all marvel. Moses gave you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye, on the Sabbath day... 
circumcise a man. Now, if a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry at me because I have made a man every withhold on the Sabbath day? Then he says, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Jesus said, you Pharisees, he said, when your priest, on a certain day, after so many days after the birth of a male child, that child has to be circumcised on that day. And you do it on the Sabbath. That's clearly work. But you are working on the Sabbath to make one part of the body right with God. I worked on the Sabbath and made the whole person right. Why are you condemning me for working on the Sabbath when you do the same thing to keep your rule? In other words, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. There's a little bit of judgment needs to go on here. In other words, don't apply the law woodenly, legalistically. Look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. God gave us this command, judge righteous judgments. Not only does he expect us to do that, he expects us to be able to do that. And in a nutshell here lies the difference between a rule emphasis and a value emphasis. I hope I haven't lost all of you yet. By the way, I was going to say at the beginning that if you don't understand something and going too fast, just put your hand up and say, hey, can you go over that again? I, I like interaction, but... Uh, we're talking about rules versus values. A rule emphasis focuses on making sure the rules kept. Some people are like that. They make sure the rules kept. The letter of the law is obeyed. I'll give you an example. When I was growing up, I was in a church and a home where the use of the radio was not permitted. I grew up also, as many children do, with a certain eccentric interest. My interest was weather. I, um, I love weather, weather forecasting. I love to look at weather maps. I could look at weather maps for so long that some people thought I'm reading a book. i just fascinated by weather forecasting. My sibling, for sure, I was going to grow up to be a meteorologist. I got up in the morning to do my chores. First thing, how cold is it? Check the temperature. I drew, imagined, I drew my own imaginary weather maps and put it in my desk at school. I had too much time. But I wished for some improvement in weather forecasting. By the time we got the daily paper, my, my grandmother got the daily paper. It ran through our home for about half an hour before it went there. It came early afternoon. By that time, the weather forecast was probably almost a day old. You could dial into some weather forecasting uh, on the phone and get a forecast on the phone. You could call someplace, someplace, and you could get that. But it was only updated twice a day, and the line was often busy. So it wasn't much better than a newspaper. 
Can you imagine my excitement when I discovered that there is a something called a NOAA weather radio that gave regular updates, hourly changes in the temperature, and special warnings in weather, uh, bad weather conditions. And whenever there's precipitation in the area, it told you where it was and which direction it's heading. This was almost heaven for a weather boy like me. Only one problem. It was a radio. It was a radio. Radios are forbidden. The rule said, because of the dangers exposed by the radio and television, they are forbidden. So what should I do? I bought a weather radio, and I hid it for a while. I'm not sure in the whole con- the whole thing and how the whole thing all came out, but eventually it came out to my parents. And their first response was, it's a radio. After the initial, it's a radio, my dad recognized that this is a gadget that only receives radio from the weather service office, which was in Harrisburg at the time. And it is of completely different nature than an AM, FM radio. And it became a part of our family experience. My parents were not keeping a wooden definition of a church rule about the radio. They made a value judgment and they arrived at a conclusion. There's another similar thing, experience that um, I had of a friend that was building a shop. There was an Amish crew was building a shop for my friend, and they had their radio blaring. Well, it wasn't gospel music. Let's say it that way. I don't know what it was, but it wasn't. It, it the uh, the husband that they were building the shop for he was away, but the wife was at home all day long and listening to this radio. Finally, got to her, so she went out and talked to them. She confronted them about that music that they were playing. And their response was, well, we saw that you have a window AC, so we thought you'd be okay with this. In their culture, both the AC and the radio are forbidden. So to them, one is like the other. They have the same moral value. Both are forbidden, so then one is not worse than the other. Now, I'm going to ask you, are you sensible people? Can you make a distinction between the two? Good. You're thinking. You're with me. Good. They aren't the same, on the same level. But the thing is, neither of them are mentioned in the Bible. But we need to make value judgments on them and moral judgments on them. A value emphasis focuses on principle and heart. One paraphrase puts John 7, 24 that I read a little earlier when Jesus said, don't judge, can't think of it, but uh, judge righteous judgment. He said, don't be nitpickers. Use your head and your heart. Discern what is right to test what is authentically right. 
So values versus rules. Which is it? One or the other? In logic, there is a logical fallacy that is presented. It's called the, the, the logic, the, uh, the false dilemma. Anybody you know that when I say false dilemma, do any of you scholars know what I'm talking about? Yes? No? False dilemma. Okay. I'll just, I, I'm sure you know what it is. A problem is presented to an opponent, and there are only two options given for an answer. That's a false dilemma because there's a third option that's not presented. Jesus faced it all the time. He was presented with them. Is it okay to divorce a woman for any reason? And basically what they're asking, should you, are you uh, agreeing with um, Hallel, Rabbi Hallel, or Rabbi Shammai? And Jesus, if we go back to the beginning, forget about the rabbis. We have a third one. That's a false dilemma. And he was another one. Is it okay to give to Caesar or not? Yes. No. Neither. There's a right way to divide that. So there's a third answer. So here we have, should we have rules and do away with values? Should we have values and do away with rules? False dilemma. Neither of those. It's both. The key is to have is to embed deep values with minimal but clear rules. And now I am talking about primarily probably church. But we're going, you can use this in a home. You can use this personal too. But primarily, primarily what we're looking at is probably the church. People will carefully abide by the rules if they can sense a correlation between them and the values they espouse. In this way, the gulf between the values and rules collapse and they reinforce each other. The problem with proliferating rules, just increasing in rules, it becomes more and more difficult to attach the rule to the value. In the final analysis, it may be at some point necessary to violate the rule in order to uphold the value. But it is never acceptable to violate the value to uphold the rule. An example, the value behind traffic laws is to safeguard human life. Is that right? For safety. That's what traffic laws are for. And normally, the value of safety and the rule, say like not exceeding the speed limit, they... They, they mutually reinforce each other. You can see the value in that. However, sometimes they are brought in conflict, like when there's a heart attack victim that needs to be rushed to the hospital. Now you have a speed limit that is to safeguard human life, but now you have a human life that is at jeopardy if you don't go over the speed limit. And so you see that the rules are there but the values are greater than the rules. And so the rules sometimes need to give away to values, in the, depending on the situation. But to have it the other way around, to be perverse, we've got to keep the rule. Forget about the value, you've got to keep the rule. That's perverse. That's not right. Ravi Zacharias said something like this. He said, um, the Old Testament law has some 500 plus commandments. 
David distilled it down to 15. Another prophet, I didn't know which one, brought it down to 11. Micah, the prophet, brought it down to 3. He said, He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Now, when someone asked Jesus what is the greatest commandment, you would have expected Jesus to respond with the one most important one. And he did, but he actually gave two. I'm reading here a number of different places, but uh, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. These are the values, the very basic down-to-earth bedrock values. All the commandments that God get their values from these two. Whenever we start keeping rules or making rules based on other values, we are veering off course. The values are relational. Love God. Love people. They are personal. They deal with people. They deal with real individuals. They are to be deeply embedded in the heart. Now that brings up another question. Does that mean that we can ignore God's specific commands and do whatever we think is the most loving thing to do? A number of years ago, we had a family at Harmony that actually after several years left, and that's exactly what they believed. They believed that Love is the predominant commandment, and they're right. But how they viewed it was very different. This is how they viewed it. In the Bible, you had the biblical culture, you had the biblical people and all that and all that and so on. What you see in the epistles, what you see in that time, was how they applied love in their culture. Our culture is different, so we don't apply love that way in our culture. And they had a number of things. I can only remember two, but I, I know they had a number of things, but rather than me misquote them, I will only say those two. But the two that they said was the way to apply love in their culture, that is not necessary today, would be the woman's veiling and the Christian greeting. That was how love was applied back then. But they applied it to all the epistles. It I think they probably applied it in the area of gender distinction because that was cultural and today it's not. And so the loving thing is, is much broader today. So they would say, let's not be so concerned what is written in the scripture. That isn't binding anymore. We need to define love and practice it in our own culture and time. That's called situational ethics. Each person determining what is the loving thing to do. Well, this is a recipe for disaster that is as great, if not greater, than living by rules. So what is actually going on in this family? Well, probably, probably, they are reacting to rules that weren't based on values, or else they didn't make the connection. So there's a reaction going on in that family. Rules not connected with values, 
we just throw the whole thing out and we start another foundation. They think it's either one or the other. It's either values or rules can't be both. It is both. I'm going to give you an example. Uh, well, no, here. There's actually, hopefully I don't have you lost yet. Rules and values. There's a polarity between the two. There's a tension between the two, a certain amount of tension or polarity. And I would try to describe it this way. In the political arena, you have freedom and you have security. You want the people. The people want to be free, but they also want to have safety. Okay? And yet those two principles clash with each other at times. Sometimes some citizens will be asked to surrender some of their freedom to promote security. We see that a lot today, don't we? Sometimes people will want more freedom and are willing to take the risk of security. There's a certain security risk might be deemed acceptable. A responsible government will navigate between those two polarities. If you have a government who polls too much one way, they'll get a reaction from the people, and the next government will be possibly on the other side. There's a, we want more freedom. Well, then they have some issues with security. And then we have a government. Uh, we'll, we'll bring security. And they have security. And they have no freedom. And they lurch back and forth. And lurching back and forth. That's often what we see today. So is it values? Or is it rules? We have people say, we need rules. And we have people say, we need to go by values. We need both. If the answer is, is it rules, is it values? The answer is yes. To have a focus on values and no practical direction is confusion and disobedience. To have a focus on rules and not values is hypocritical and senseless. There's a couple of take-home points I want to leave with you today. Number one, Jesus condemned a focus on rule-keeping which results in a disconnect from the real values. Jesus condemned a focus on rule-keeping which results in a disconnect from real values. Number two, Jesus never espoused not keeping the direct commandments of God, except in certain isolated cases where a value trumps the command. In a case like when David took the showbread in the temple, when the, they were hungry and they needed bread and that was the only bread available. So there is isolated cases where a value will trump a command. Number three, Jesus expects his people, that's us, to make applications in practical life based on values, even though the applications are not directly commanded in Scripture. Jesus expects us to make applications 
of values, even where those values are not directly commanded in Scripture. Jesus expects us to do that. You know, you are a fellowship. I preached this message soon after Oasis started and uh, with the idea that we are a new fellowship and we need to have some kind of idea what we believe and so on. You are a fellowship with new, belie- new leaders, so maybe you can apply it that way. You will be determining what is going to be your practical expressions, what is acceptable among you or not. You will need to determine first what the true values are based on those two commandments, and then to give practical direction based on values. Based on values, you must then determine the practical application connected to those values. We have hawks around our place, and we have chickens on our property. Chickens like hawks. But unlike groundhogs, we cannot shoot those hawks. Not even if they eat every last one of those chickens. We can't shoot those hawks. We have a neighbor who's actually permitted to shoot that hawk. She's a Native American. The federal law does not apply to her. She can shoot that hawk but she will never shoot that hawk. Why not? She says, she told me, God put me here on earth to take care of his animals. Her husband got us over to cut down because we burn wood for our heating. He got us over there to cut down a dead tree. And she protested that because dead trees and woodpeckers go together. You don't want to cut down a dead tree because the woodpeckers need it to eat the bugs. So here she has. She has no law to keep her from shooting that hawk, but she will never shoot that hawk. She has some values. You know, That's really what we need. We need to be connected, intimately connected with the true values of God. That it will control our behavior like it does hers. Down to the detail of not cutting down dead trees. So we just bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you. We are grateful for your word. We are grateful, Lord, that you have given us your word, but most of all, that you have come and to live in our hearts. We pray, Lord, as we, as we uh, walk with you and as we interact with one another, with other people especially, Lord, that we look to you, that we look at values, and that, Lord, we look at what, uh, by your grace, to make righteous judgment on those values, that which is pleasing to you, like your word says, that we may know what is the acceptable and perfect will of God. So Lord, I pray you would bless these dear people here, that you would bless them as they gather together, bless their new leaders, 
bless them as a fellowship. I pray, Lord, you would prosper them. Even though at times it looks difficult, even though it may uh, seem like a hard road, yet, Lord, you are God. You, you care about us. So we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to uh, thank the brothers who brought forth their messages today. I think that everyone else will see that they went hand in hand. I think if you do not value honesty, then there's no reason to be honest. And the difference between being honest because you're supposed to and because you value it has been very clearly put forth in the second message. So verse here in uh, Colossians 3, it's a... Verse 17, it says, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. It seems like if that was, let's say, a little test that we let run through our mind every time we're going to do something that uh, we think might be questionable, if we aren't doing it because we know it's the right thing to do, you're not sure, there's a test verse right there. If you can't do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, You ought not to do it. First John three, verse 20. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. I was overjoyed today to listen to all of this. Could have listened another half hour. And it straightened up a lot of my thoughts, too, when you talk with people and they say, oh, that's not necessary, that is not so, and that is not this way. And I am thankful for this message today. Thank you very much. Yeah, I just wanted to thank you, brother, for taking the time to think that all through, the values versus rules. And I guess... The encouragement I would have is just let's make our values biblical values and base our values off the principles that are presented in God's word. Because there's many values, competing values out there. And that's really our job is we're forced to discern between is this a biblical value or is this not a biblical value? I'm just going to say this, Earl, I think your neighbor's in the ditch. Well, that was my first thought anyway, but I got to thinking a little bit, maybe not. Uh, yeah, we, may we lift our values higher than the, than the rules in our, in our convictions and live our life by that. I was thinking if I, if we value a relationship with God and if we value prayer, we won't be spending or wasting our time on lots of other things that we, that are not necessary. Yeah, I'm thankful for the message today. Thank you, Brother Earl, for sharing that. It's thought-provoking. Uh, message, and I think it's a valuable one for us as a church. I've heard um, the accusation over 
some over the last few years that uh, our congregation is moving more in the direction of becoming uh, more rules oriented or I mean there wasn't a, that wasn't a phrase that was used that was kind of what was meant and I don't know that was really the case and the sure they were that was coming from outside the congregation that's really based accurate information but it would be my desire to not um, that would not be our focus certainly I, I I agree that we need to make practical applications, um, but that the, those applications must be based on values, uh, biblical values. And um, so may the Lord help us as we walk through all that. And uh, there may be a place for, um, you know, for some give and take, but I think if we're going to have uh, a united focus and have united values as a body that that we can prosper and, and I trust that uh, we will by God's grace. I thought of it as um, rules are written in your head and values are written on your heart. Uh, you'll, never, you'll never hold a rule dear to your heart, but you will a value. Couldn't help but think, springing off of what Nathan just said, um, when values are predominant in a relationship, yes, you need the structure of the rules and the understandings of what the norms are, but there's a freedom that can reach out to other people. When you see that they're working off the same values, they may apply them differently, but if there's a genuine heart that is trying to apply them, uh, there's a freedom where you can live with differences. I'm not advocating anything. I'm just saying that for no no more than what it's worth on the surface. But um, there is a freedom there. I've I've had to think of that that increasingly in, in my own life here, even over the last week or two. Thank you for listening to this message. We trust that it has been a blessing to you. If you would like additional sermons or a catalog, please visit our website at effortofministries.org. Call us toll free at eight five five. Five five seven seven nine zero two, or write to us at Ephrata Ministries, four hundred West Main Street, Suite One, Ephrata, Pennsylvania, one seven five two two. You are welcome to copy this message for free distribution. This ministry is supported by your donations. May the Lord Jesus bless you.